0: So, hey, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Tim. Uh, I work here. I'm the the director of the Micronesian Mission. Uh, Pastor Jason is online with you right now answering your comments. And uh, so feel free to to interact with him there while I'm talking. And uh, I just can't wait to go on a little journey with you here today. And so I don't know about you guys, but uh, over the past several weeks, I've had a fair amount more time to uh, think about things. Sometimes uh, thinking is, is great, uh, a lot of great work gets done in my head from time to time when I think, but sometimes thinking is just not that great, but. Generally, I'm a a pretty optimistic person, and and I've been really kind of busy with uh, the way that things are now, trying to figure out how to be the church and do church online. So I haven't had uh, a whole lot of time spent living in fear of of what the new world might look like for me or for us as a church or or even for all of humanity. But even in those moments, the moments where I find that, that fear has begun to creep in, I found refuge in in just kind of replaying some stories in my mind. Stories where even when everything seemed lost, something happened and good prevailed. Stories like Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or or Harry Potter have played through my mind. And and it's almost as if my childhood reading regimen has created a character category in my mind for, for what this all looks like and how to deal with it with an epic adventure, but unfortunately, everyone keeps telling me that I need to stay home. However, there is another story that has been uh, right in the forefront of my mind uh, just for the past couple of weeks, and and it's a story that is told in another one of my all-time favorite books, and this story, this story is the real deal. It's by an Austrian psychologist uh, named Viktor Frankl, and it's poetically named Man's Search for Meaning. And now I want you to read this book because it is probably the best book that I have ever read. So I'm not gonna gonna ruin the entire thing for you, but the gist of it is that Viktor is a Jewish man who practiced psychotherapy in Austria until Austria was annexed into Nazi Germany. And from that moment on, He moved through the system of concentration camps, including the infamous Auschwitz, losing more and more of his friends and family as the years went by. So while Victor was living in the the direst of human circumstances under the thumb of the most atrocious human evil, he did what he does best. He studied people. I mean, he was a shrink after all. And what Victor found was that those who were the most likely to survive the concentration camp experience were people who clung to one thing and one thing only. Hope. Hope that they would be able to someday fulfill their purpose. Hope that their life would have a meaning again. And for a baker, it was that he would once again be able to to bake the bread and own a shop. For Victor himself, it was that he would once again be able to see patients, practice therapy, and write books. And and for us now, today, I think that this resonates a little bit more than it normally does. You see, for so many of us, our lives just are not how they were simply a few weeks ago. And there's fear, and and there is uncertainty, and it's, it's like the perfect storm of chaos has whipped up. And so we're left with really one simple choice, a choice that Viktor Frankl puts rather bluntly. And he says this in in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And so in our circumstances, circumstances that are changing constantly right now, where we're largely confined to our homes and we're confined to a dwindling set of bingeable shows on Netflix, we have been given one last freedom to choose to cling to a hope that has been given to us in Christ. We cling to the hope that God can and will make a way for us through this storm and deliver us safely and changed on the other side. See, we, we cling to the hope that God has set forth for us in the scriptures. A hope that he can and will make a way for us. You know, back before all of this started, we were traveling through the gospel of John. And specifically, we were looking at the signs that Jesus performed that would allow readers and hearers of his word to believe that that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the God of Israel. And so today, uh, I want to drop us back in there, and we're going to find ourselves right where Jesus and the disciples have just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So Jesus has, has just shown himself to all of these people to be a provider, Much like when the Israelites received manna coming down from heaven in the wilderness thousands of years earlier from their God. And I think that this is just a little side note, a little word for us, a little truth that we can hold on to today. Jesus provides. And Jesus uses maybe for us truck drivers and grocery store workers but regardless, Jesus provides, and we can all relax. There's more than enough to go around. Fill up your grocery cart like it's 2019. But back to back to Jesus's story here. The people see what Jesus has done, and, and Jesus perceives that they are going to overwhelm him and try to make him the king, and, and he's just not into that. That's, that's not what he came for, and so he... Decides to practice a little social distancing, and he goes up to the mountains to be alone. And this is where we're gonna pick ourselves up in and, and the story, and this is John 6, verses 16. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And this is a pretty well-known story. In fact, it's it's recounted in Matthew's gospel as well as Mark's gospel, all with uh, just slightly different details. So when we read this in John, we need to remember John's purpose. That you might read and believe that Jesus is Lord. And so who was John writing to? Well, John was writing to Jewish folks and and Greek people and maybe some leftover people who practiced the old Babylonian religion over to the east. So kind of hidden in this story is some stuff that uh, just as 21st century Americans, we don't quite see. You see, for the ancients, everything that we now kind of explain with science had a theology behind it. And so, for the Greeks, uh, the, the water situation was governed by one god. His name was Poseidon, the guy with the trident that you probably heard about and read about. But if you go even farther back to in Middle Eastern culture, uh, there's myth- mythologies that, that are attributed to Israel's neighbor Babylon. And it's actually their story of creation. You see, essentially, their, their chief god, Marduk... Uh, has it out. He has a big battle with uh, the god of the primordial sea, who's like a sea monster type of deal. It's pretty cool. And uh, when he defeats her, he becomes the chief god of all of, uh, all that there is, and he is able to create the earth and make his human slaves. And then, of course, that leads us to our story. See, while the Babylonians had a creation story born out of violence, we turn To the first pages of our book. And we have a story in which the earth is is formless and void, and, and darkness covers the face of the primordial sea. And in a few creative acts, God separates the chaos, separates the sea, and he makes a way for land to come up. And the book of Job illustrates it this way God says, Who shut in the sea with doors? When it bursts out from the womb. So, God's mastery over the water in ancient Hebrew eyes is the reason that life can and does exist. But the sea is still treacherous, the sea is still dangerous, the sea brings with it the potential for death and destruction. And so, John has all of his potential audience on edge. The sea is bad. The sea is chaos. The sea brings destruction, and our our friends are out in the middle of it. What's going to happen next? Well, I'm sure you're interested, so this is how it goes. And we pick up in John 6, 19. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. So John, John in writing this knows that all of the people who might read it, Hebrews, Greeks and Romans over to the west, Babylonians and Persians over to the east would all recognize that the one who can control the destructive power of the sea is someone worth paying attention to. It's John saying that, This is a sign that this Jesus, that I'm telling you about, he is the one that you're looking for. One of the really, really neat things uh, that happens here is that John gives us just a really abbreviated version of the events. See, this in, in Matthew's account, this is where Peter walks on the water. Mark tells us that the disciples were afraid because they thought that Jesus was a ghost. But John... I mean, for once, John is, is sparse on the details. He just says they, they saw Jesus and they were terrified. Were they terrified of Jesus? Were they terrified of the storm? John doesn't really say. Maybe all of the above. But what all three gospels do tell us is that Jesus walked on the water and his words to those who followed him Or do not be afraid. John doesn't tell us that Jesus calmed the storm. All that John wants us to know or deems important for us to know is that Jesus delivered the disciples to the land that they were heading to. And so... We, and even John's readers, are left with some theological tension to deal with. Because on one hand, Jesus is clearly in control of the sea. He was, he was just walking on it. This is the sign that John is pointing us towards. Regardless of the theology that you grew up with, this guy, this guy that subdues and controls the sea, this is the guy that can protect you from the chaotic and destructive forces of the storm. And that's all well and fine. But on the other hand, as far as John wants us to know, Jesus doesn't do what we would expect. See, I think, well, just calm the storm. Make the threat go away. But I think that John wants us to think a little bit differently about this than his colleagues may have. You see, by the time that John wrote uh, his gospel account, uh, which is the last one uh, to be written, the church was being horrifically persecuted. They had become public enemy number one in Rome, and so I think that John was acutely aware of the danger that could come from just preaching that Jesus calms the sea. Because his audience, well, his audience just might never, ever see the end of the chaos and destruction of the persecution that they faced. It wasn't about calming the sea for John. It was about the deliverance that came in the midst of and despite the storm. So I'm not going to stand up here and preach that Jesus is is going to just calm the storm of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm not going to preach that Jesus is going to fix your 401k or, or give you your job back or any of those things that I really, 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 really hope that he does. I'm not going to do that, not because I don't believe that he can, but because I just don't know his plans. See, John and the disciples knew that Jesus could calm the sea. Heck, he had just been walking on it. He made his point. He was Yahweh of the Old Testament. He was the water master, the master of nature. But along with all of that, Jesus was and is the master of nature deliverer. And when you think about the word deliverer, it's interesting. We use the word deliverer to describe Jesus all of the time. And yet we still wish deep down in the bottom of our hearts that he wouldn't be a deliverer. You see, being delivered means that we have got to go through some stuff. It means that we have got to move from one place to a new place. What we really, really want is to stay still and for God to change our current reality, to change our current situation, to calm the storm that is raging in our life, when all the while, he just wants us to bring him into the boat and bring us through to the land that we are going. You see, God is certainly powerful enough to have just freed Israel from slavery in Egypt, and dropped them into the promised land. Yet he didn't. They had to wander for an entire generation, and they complained almost the entire time. But in the midst of that wandering, God revealed his true self to them. And in the midst of that wandering, God revealed to Israel exactly who they were and why they so desperately needed him. In the midst of that wandering and and because of that revelation, a national identity was formed. A law code was solidified. Israel's religion, Israel's government, Israel's entire culture was hard won in their wandering and the subsequent conquest of the promised land. But we can go even broader with this. God could have just fixed the entire problem of human sin and wickedness by simply removing evil from existence. Yet instead of just snapping his fingers, he laid out a plan of salvation that culminates in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for our redemption, for our freedom from the power of sin. And he plans to restore all of creation and liberate it from the destructive consequences that evil have brought. And he could do all of this without making us live through these hardships. But he has chosen this way, a way of deliverance, where rather than change the specific circumstances that surround us, he has chosen to change us in the midst of our circumstances. And this is what Viktor Frankl found as he lived life both in and eventually on the other side of the most incredible human atrocity that we have ever experienced. He found that as long as people looked to the end, to the possibility of pursuing their meaning to exist, they would find that in the midst of their circumstances, they had already found their purpose. You see, while a psychotherapist hoped for and simply looked to the days of seeing patients and writing books once again, he began to realize that he had an entire population of people surrounding him that needed a little bit of therapy. As long as the baker could cling to the hope of baking again, he would have a reason to use whatever scraps that he found to bake a little something and remind himself, his family and his fellows of what life was and could be like outside of the camp. See, in the midst of great loss, great tragedy, great misery, people whose purpose was being intentionally attacked found their purpose. They found meaning in their lives by clinging to and living out the hope that they had for a future. See, deliverance is much more about the journey And the way that God changes us through it by giving us a future and a hope. By inviting us to live out the grander purpose until we reach the shore to which we are heading. You see, it turns out, it turns out that hope is a scandal. It takes away the power of the soul-crushing, spirit-breaking nature of dire circumstances. And it turns them into something beautiful. And I think that you have seen this. I think that over the past couple of weeks, you have witnessed people being good to one another, taking care of one another. You have seen either firsthand or reports of teachers parading their cars through the neighborhoods where their children live waving, showing them that they love them, putting up lesson plans on the internet so that the their kids can continue to learn. People living out their one purpose in life, which is to make sure that these children have a future and a hope. Living out their hope to change lives, to influence the next generation. We have fitness trainers, yoga instructors, churches, and people in recovery from addiction reaching out and reaching right into the homes of people out of the hope that if they can just do what they love, if they can just help one person today, then the circumstances of the world don't win. Healthcare workers, truck drivers, grocery store clerks, and and so many more people just keep on showing up. Stores have shown that they care by looking out for senior citizens. And the list goes on and on and on. And this is what Viktor Frankl wrote about. This is what he saw. And this is what he wants for us. This is the stuff that brings us through. And so as people who follow Jesus, we have found ourselves in the midst of a storm. A destructive force surrounds us. But in the midst of this, we know, we know, we know that, they, that there is a God, a God who can and will deliver us through this storm. And we put our hope, all of our hope in Jesus, and we invite him into our boat, and we we look to our future hope in a world where nothing like this ever happens again because it's been fully restored. But we don't just live in the future. Until then, we must allow that hope to transform the way that we live in the here and now. And so maybe, maybe you are one of those people who has been staying busy by keeping hope and and adapting and finding ways to cling to your own search for meaning in the midst of this. And all that I've really done today is give you words to describe why you've been doing what you're doing. And my word for you today is, is just keep going, just keep running this race. Because the way that you are living is giving life and giving hope to others. But if you're someone who this has been particularly hard on, if this has taken a lot from you, if the fear seems to win most days, I invite you to look past the storm. Ask yourself, what is the hope that I have for the future when this is all over? How do I want to affect the world? Who do I want to be? And then do a little soul searching, do a little thinking, do a little research. Find out how can I live into that today, right now from my home? What steps can I take to make this future hope a reality in my current situation. You see, I promise that even if all seems lost, God is working through this to mold us into something new, something beautiful, to mold us into people who face the storm but don't see the wind and the waves. But we see Jesus walking in the midst of it, He invites us to be people who bring him into the boat and allow this hope of his deliverance to change us into the people that he has called us to be. God's people on God's mission to the world. A mission to seek out and comfort the hurting, to lift up the downtrodden, to seek out and save the lost. People who show the world, who lives in crisis right now, what it looks like, To walk through the storm with peace, with hope, and with love. And so would you pray with me? God, we we place all of our hope in you. In who you are. Who You have proven to us time and time again. That you are our deliverer. You are our way maker. That you keep your promises to us and that you can and will and have made a way for us through this storm. And you invite us to just buckle up and go along for the ride. God, we pray that as you deliver us through this storm, that you would not leave us here the way that we went into it. God, through the power of of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, show us the things that we need to leave behind. Show us the things that we need to grasp to and hold to. And also, God, just show us how to use the people that you are making us into to be a light, love, and hope for the world around us. God, every time that there is fear, we invite you to intercede, And remind us of your goodness, of your grace, of your love, and of your power. Your control over all things. God, help us to trust you. To trust in your plan. The plan that you have shown us throughout all of salvation history is for us. And for our good. And God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a spirit that binds us together even when we are physically apart. Thank you for making us your church. It's in all of that we pray. Amen.